The U.S. got off on the right foot in the first match of World Cup qualifying with a five-goal effort on Friday. This is the SBI Show. I am Gary Cleverly. With me is Ivis, who's down by the beach. Ivis, everyone wants to know how many frozen daiquiris are you already in? I have not been by the beach. Uh, I have not seen any sand. I am I am in Port of Spain, uh, and it's it's nice and warm. The weather's beautiful. Fortunately, I've been so busy working and writing and running around doing interviews, but uh, it's it's a it's it's a nice scene down here. You know, obviously the weather's great. Uh, there's a I think there is a bit of buzz already about this game. Should be it, it, I think most people expect it to be a pretty good game. How have you not gone to the beach yet? Come on, Ivis. I know you're not I working. Wanna... I know you're not working the entire time. First of all, I got here late last night. And I had to had the right when I got here, and then uh, today I woke up, I had to run off, I had a nice sit down uh, with Tim Howard, I had a nice one on one interview that'll become dropping on Gold dot com uh, at any moment, and uh, and then we, we obviously had to go to training today in uh, the press conference with Klinsman, so that went pretty well, and we got to obviously be in the stadium, uh, Hazley Crawford Stadium, the, the the site of the famous Paul Caligiuri. Uh, the goal that kicked off the, 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 the era of American soccer. So uh, it's been a good time so far, but it's been pretty busy. Hopefully tomorrow I can actually go to the beach. I doubt it, but hopefully. Yeah, just sleep in. Rest, man. That's the point. You're on vacation, right? Yeah, yeah I think that's what I'm going to do. <laughs> actually, I'll sleep in by the pool. That way I can still get some sun and I can sleep. That's not too bad. I might try that. It looks nice and warm down there. I saw it was like 90 degrees. Oh, jealous, man. Very jealous. It's pretty nice. You got to break out the, the short sleeves, yeah, the shorts. Life is tough. Life is tough on the road, man. Hey, somebody's got to do it. I know. I know, Ivis. Well, we do have some talk about, even though Major League Soccer playoffs have taken a back seat over the next two weeks, there's still plenty to talk about, Ivis. We got to kick things off, though, with the U.S. men's national team. They went out. Big victory over St. Vincent and the Grenadines. Got off to a little rocky start with the underdog scoring the opening goal, but the U.S. responded, then scored a barrage of goals. They coasted at that point, and uh, on all, Ivis, I mean, this was the effort that we expected out of the U.S. in the opening game. Well, it didn't start out that way. I mean, it started off pretty shaky fashion with the uh, the early goal by the Vinci Heat, uh, a, a little bit of a defensive miscue. You had Jeff Cameron, you had DeAndre Edlin. Uh, so it looked a little nervy there for a minute, and I and I got to fully I got to tell you for a second I honestly sat there and thought, are they throwing this game? Do they want Jurgen Klinsmann fired so oh, bad? Oh no, they, come on! No, I know, I know. It was, but it was still. It was, I was kind of uh, laughing. You know. I was like, this is just like so perfect that Saint Vincent when, would score the opening goal. I know, but look, you're talking about a team that was probably a four goal underdog, oh, and yeah. then for them, so that for them to score the first goal, you're like something's something's not right. But <laughs> obviously, things things calmed down, and the U.S. showed their quality. And they just were too much for for, for St. Vincent. And, uh, you know, credit to the way they responded. And there were definitely some some really good performances. Uh, you know, George Altidore, I thought he stepped up. Mm-hmm. Fabi, Fabian Johnson did well. And let's talk about the some of the positional decisions that Jurgen Klinsmann made. Fabian Johnson on the left wing, DeAndre Edlin at right back. Pretty smart moves by that guy. I wonder, I wonder uh, what, what the inspiration was for that. I guarantee he wasn't listening to the show. I also think I said Tim Ream at left back. So well, clearly Jurgen right. was listening to me on that one. I was... Everyone had Tim Ream at left back, let's be honest. Because um, mm. there's no one else on the roster. What, are you going to put Breck Shea in a qualifier? Yeah, or are you going to put uh, you know Darlington Nagby? I mean, talk about pace out of the back. Whoa. No, no not going to happen. But anyway, <laughs> the moves that he made uh, paid off. Bobby, how about Bobby Wood, by the way? Yeah, Another goal for- I know. 
he's just gaining confidence with each game, and he's he's looking like a starter right now. He's looking like a guy you can put in and and get a, and you can expect a goal out of him, no matter the opponent. And uh, you want to see him keep keep continuing to to play pretty well. Overall, it was it was a positive performance. Mm-hmm. A lot of and then how about the debuts, Darlington Ivy. Matt Biaska, you got cap. You were able to cap time Biaska, even though Klinsman claimed he didn't really care about that. Uh, and Nagby, man, Nagby looked really sharp. His mm-hmm. touch, his touches. He's he already comes onto the team. It has the best touch on the team. Maybe you could argue <laughs> one of the top two touches on the team. And he's fun to watch. He fit right in. He 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 didn't look uh, out of place. And I think we're going to see him play some minutes against Trinidad. I don't know about him starting. Although I, me personally, I would love to see him start. I don't know if if Clemson's necessarily ready to throw him in into the deep end just yet. You want to kind of ease him into things. Uh, so I think he'll come on in the second half sub. I don't know if we're going to see too many changes in the lineup. Obviously, we're going to see one change in goal, which is Tim Howard. And and it's a as crazy as it sounds. This is going to be Tim Howard's first major game for the U.S. in the lineup since the Belgium game. Crazy as that sounds, you know, with the year he took off, with the year he took off, this is really going to this is his first key, like important game. I mean, he played in the in the friendly against Costa Rica, but, you know, he comes in here. This is going to be his 30th World Cup qualifier. uh, He's only he'll become the 10th player to reach that milestone. And, uh, you know, I had a chance to talk to him uh, at length. Uh, today and it, we touched a, a wide range of topics and he, he's a guy who really he he's eager to keep, he's eager to show that he's still uh, one of the top goalkeepers around and I know I know a lot of people are kind of writing him off he's had his he's had his issues at Everton where you know he's faced a lot of criticism for some of the goals that he's given up and uh, it really since the World Cup he, he's he's faced I think more criticism in the last year and a half than he's faced his entire career and uh, you know right or wrong. Uh, you know, I asked him about it, and he 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 kind of is aware of that stuff, but he doesn't let, he doesn't sweat it too much. He he still feels he he's playing at a high level, and he still feels he has a lot to offer. So, this qualifier is going to be a great opportunity for him to show that he should still be the number one. Well, going back to the game before we preview the Trinidad, um, you mentioned one guy in particular, Josie Outdoor, um, and for him, two goal effort in this match. Uh, I think the thing that impressed me the most, Ivis, was just how the U.S. Um, was able to pass the ball in the final third. I mean, look, St. Vincent was gassed at times, but still, I mean, it was promising to see. I mean, that combination between Josie Altador and Jazzy Zardis, I mean, having that guys play off each other, I mean, you're going to want to partner for Josie Altador going forward. I mean, I thought that was a huge positive in the game was seeing how easily they were able to connect in the match. Well, again, we have to, everything gets taken with a grain of salt because of, of the opponent. But anyone who's seen his career, Josie Altador does well against CONCACAF competition. Uh, he's always a handful. He always gets up for these games, especially seemingly against Caribbean teams. He always gets up a little extra. Maybe it's the Haitian roots, and then, you know his family wants to see him do well against the likes of Jamaica and Trinidad and these kind of teams. Um, I think he's going to be a handful for Trinidad, and he obviously was a handful for St. Vincent. And I know a lot of people are kind of down on Altidore. He's had his struggles, no question about it. He's had his ups and downs, his disappointing performances, but he's still the best option as as far as target strikers go. There's no one else, and. When he's on, he's still as good a forward as there is in the pool. So uh, you know you can. Uh, it makes sense why he continues to get these opportunities. I know for some people, it's like time to cast him aside, throw him away. And but like, listen, there are just because it's always easy to go like want the guy who isn't playing. 
You know, it's like the whole backup quarterback kind of syndrome. The, mm-hmm. the backup quarterback is always going to do better than the starting quarterback. Uh, and I think Altidore is kind of in that situation. You know, has he had his ups and downs? Sure. But he has shown throughout his career that when it comes to qualifiers, he gets up for these games. And I think this next game against Trinidad is going to be a great opportunity for him to show that he's still worthy of being in the starting lineup. Well, and speaking of the uh, striker position, Bobby Wood, you mentioned him a little earlier. Dude, the guy has been ridiculous. I've has four goals since June for the national team. He's also scoring goals on the club side. I kind of find it interesting because, you know, when Bobby Wood came up, there was a little hype about who is this kid. He didn't really deliver. He's starting to deliver now, and, you know, we are talking about him, but he doesn't have that hype that he first had when he came up. And, I mean, quietly, I've has four goals for the U.S. since June. I mean, dude, the guy is unstoppable, it seems like, at this point. No, he's playing with confidence. There's no question. And, I mean, I remember seeing him back on Thomas Rongen's U20 team being in camp with them, and you could definitely see the, the, the qualities that he has. I mean, he's he's got some pace to him. He's tenacious. Uh, he puts himself in good spots. And, and a year ago when he was struggling to finish chances, the fact was he was still getting into good positions. And even against good competition, I mean, mm-hmm. we're talking about facing a team like Columbia uh at Craven Cottage, and, and he's you know he's putting himself in really good spots. And in one case, and I can remember, he had a shot that was would have been a goal on most days, but a great save denied him. And, and he's all he needed was some confidence. And now that he has that confidence, he's playing regularly on the club side. Uh, it, it makes perfect sense that he's played himself into this starting position. And I think he's going to hold on to it for a while because obviously Clint Dempsey's out of the mix right now. He, he's been he's been kind of allowed to to stay away for now. And you know what? Be careful what you wish for. If Clint Dempsey maybe you know didn't want to necessarily come into this camp for whatever reason, uh, maybe he'll have a hard time getting back in if a kid like Bobby Wood takes full advantage. And, and now this Trinidad game, a great opportunity for him. It'll be his first road qualifier. And it's, not, it's a whole other thing, a whole other animal going on the road and playing in these qualifiers in front of the hostile crowds. You get the the weather when it, you know you get the hot and steamy conditions in Central America and the Caribbean. You get the crowd behind the the, the home team. It's a, it can be a little intimidating, and and we've seen Bobby Wood in some pretty impressive atmospheres deliver. Whether it's on the road against Germany, on the road against the Netherlands, in the Concacaf Cup final in front of ninety thousand, he scores a goal. So. He hasn't been too he hasn't been too phased by the by the big stage and and I don't think he'll be uh, phased on Tuesday. Well, he Morris, uh, Jordan Morris, and you could say Zardes. I, I think about this. I was, it's amazing how things change so fast. Two years ago, two three years ago, I mean, what you're penciling in, Terrence Boyd, Aaron Johansson, Julian Green as the strikers of the forward. I mean, you, you find hard pressed to find someone have Bobby Wood, Jordan Morris, and Jazzy Zardes as guys who are, are must haves for the U.S. when Jurgen names his roster. Well, I mean, Zardes was was kind of on the radar. I, I mean, I, I was, I wouldn't say he came out of nowhere. Morris definitely. Morris a year ago was was not really on anyone's radar at all. Um, and then, uh, yeah, no, Bobby Wood, the same thing. Bobby Wood, you know, two years ago, nobody was really talking about him. But it's how quickly things can turn around. And I don't think we've heard the last of Aaron Johansson by any means. I think he'll get get back healthy and, and throw himself back into that conversation. But for right now, it's a great opportunity. For those guys you mentioned, uh, Wood, Zardis, and Morris, to to take advantage of the minutes that have been opened up that have been opened up by Clint Dempsey not being here. Also, another player you mentioned, Fabian Johnson, played on the left side, looked pretty good. Also helps out that DeAndre Edlin looked pretty good at the right back spot. Um, worked out pretty well. I mean, Fabian Johnson coming back, good performance for him. Bounces back for the Mexico game at the Rose Bowl. No, he looked great, and he looks completely comfortable there. And he he's one of your best players. There's no doubt. I mean, you can say you could. Some would even argue maybe he's their best player. 
But you want him to get as much of the ball as possible. And him playing him in that position where he's playing regularly, it gives him that opportunity to get a lot more of the ball, get a lot, get into the attack more. Sometimes that right back could get a bit lost. He, he he might not find the game. And I think now he that's his perfect spot. And even Yedlin, even though he had the, obviously the shaky moments, shaky moments on the first goal, on the St. Vincent goal, I think he showed what he brings to the table at right back. Gives you the attacking qualities, and he can defend. For, he's defending better. He still needs to work on that part of his game, but that's what these kind of games are for—to kind of give him that experience. He's playing in Sunderland. He's gaining experience there, so I, I think it's an investment worth making. So we'll see now if, if Klinsman agrees, and we'll see if he puts Yedlin back at right back against a tough Trinidad team that has some dangerous wingers, some players that can definitely uh, turn fullbacks inside out. So we'll see if he has faith in, enough faith in Yedlin to keep him in the starting lineup. Well, keeping the players in the starting lineup, Jermaine Jones did not have the best game uh, against St. Vincent. Him and Bradley Ivis, it just did not mesh well between the two. And, and the thing that I think that's frustrating for most fans is we saw at the World Cup that when Jones stayed dis- disciplined, he, he plays the role that he needs to play, he can do that. And, and he's stellar when he does that. The problem is, as we saw in this match, Jones freelancing, that he looked like he got injured, then he came back. I just all in all, it's just not a good performance for Jones, especially when you have Kyle Beckerman on the bench. Well, I mean, to be fair, it wasn't like he had a lot to do. It wasn't like St. Vincent was doing anything through the midfield. So he really had a lot of free reign, and, and it wasn't a great game for him by any means. And, and it's a much bigger role, a much bigger assignment against Trinidad, a much more dynamic team, much da- much more dangerous attack. Um, there's some questions as far as his fitness goes going into this game. Uh, you know, he, sa- he sounded like he wasn't 100%. Uh, when he talked to the media uh, today. So we'll see if he's in the lineup. And I, I think against a team like Trinidad, you could definitely see a Kyle Beckerman plug in into that role because I think obviously he's shown that he can stay at home. He can clog the passing lanes. He can stay disciplined in front of the back four. And, and I think that's what you need in a game like this. And maybe Jermaine Jones's injury is kind of a blessing in disguise because then you don't have to just bench him. You can blame it on the injury and you can play Beckerman, who's probably more suited for this kind of opponent. Well, before before we preview the Trinidad game, um, how was the atmosphere in St. Louis? I know it was in a baseball stadium, and I know New York City FC plays in one, but look, baseball stadiums, all of them are very different. How was the atmosphere? Obviously, it looked jam-packed there. No, the crowd was great. The crowd was amazing. The, obviously, the playing conditions were not ideal. You never want to be playing on a baseball field. Uh, it looked pretty terrible, to be honest with you. And considering the, the Cardinals, St. Louis Cardinals, uh, who that's their home. I mean, they haven't played in a while. They should. I mean, you would think the field conditions would have been better. I find it amazing that we could put a man on the moon, but grass is never perfect. Well, I mean, it's it's the configuration. It's a baseball field, so it's tough to just kind of throw grass onto dirt, on you know, in short in a short time span. So, you know, I think if it, I think the better the better question is why are these games even being played on baseball fields at all? And I mean, I get it. They wanted to play in that market. They wanted to bring they wanted to bring the national team to uh, a historically significant soccer market in America, and uh, they turned out well. The crowd was great. Um, I don't know when we're going to see St. Louis uh, get another national team game, but it's a city that I think has enough history in the game that you know what you can understand why they want to have a game there. Well, the Trinidad game will be on Tuesday for the U.S. Ivis. When you look at the performance against St. Vincent, uh, the team appears to be relatively healthy going into the Trinidad game. Uh, maybe you could substitute out Jermaine Jones for Kyle Beckerman. I mean, should we see many changes with the roster that Jurgen Klinsmann will put out there on Tuesday? I wouldn't think so. I think, uh, I mean, a few days ago he, made, he said that he didn't foresee making a ton of changes. And I think 
obviously Tim Howard's one. Tim Howard's going to start for Brad Guzan. Uh, but beyond that, I mean, I think Jermaine Jones is an option uh, benching him for Beckerman. And maybe you sit Yedlin and maybe you move uh, Fabian Johnson to right back. And if you do that, who do you play in midfield? Do you put a Yedlin in? Uh, I mean, a Yedlin, I'm sorry, you put a Nagby in? Do you put a Breck Shea in? Uh, uh, for me, I just go with the same group. I go with the same group. And if Jermaine Jones is, is not 100%, then you plug Beckerman in. And I think that group can get definitely get a victory in, or at least at least get the point. Because obviously you want six, but... If they can get a point on the road here, I think that sets them up pretty well going into the rest of the group. Well, same thing goes for Trinidad, Ivis. They won their opening game over Guatemala 2-1. to one. So, I mean, dude, they're going to be hungry to get off to that good start. Pick up six points, win over Guatemala, home win against the U.S. Ooh, that would be a dream start for Trinidad. No, of course. I think they, they're obviously a team that's playing with some confidence. Uh, I think they showed really well at the Gold Cup. They lost penalty kicks to Panama. Um, and now they just beat Guatemala on the road. That's a big three. Three points on the road is huge in this group stage. So uh, they're going to come in with confidence, but at the same time, you're talking about a lot of history uh, in terms of the U.S. having kind of a, a dominant edge over Trinidad. I believe they're 11-1-2 all-time against Trinidad. Now, having said that, uh, you know, in talking to uh, Trinidad coach Stephen Hart today, he made an interesting comment in saying that, you know, young players don't care about history, and it's a totally fair point that – this is a relatively young Trinidad team, and and these guys don't know about you know Paul Caligiri's goal. They don't they don't really I think are spending much time thinking about the past results against the U.S. I think they're going to see an opportunity to play a high level opponent and show off what they can do. They've played Mexico, I believe, twice in the past year, and they've scored four points in each I mean four goals in each of those games. So they've shown against a high level opponent that they can go in and 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 stand toe to toe and. And Tim Howard, I thought he made a really good point. He's like, you know, the, the fear factor is starting to fade in CONCACAF when it comes to playing the U.S. and Mexico. These teams are not afraid like they maybe they used to be of, of, of the intimidating powerhouses of CONCACAF. Now they get up for these games. And I, I'd say part of it maybe I think is the uh, the fact that you have a lot of more of these players that play in MLS. They're familiar with the, with, with the players on the U.S. So it's not the, – the mystique isn't quite there like maybe it was in the past – so uh, I think from that standpoint, the, these teams come in with more confidence. And Tim Howard, I think, said it really well, is that it's up to the U.S. to to send a message and to really put a beating on some of these teams to just remind everybody that they are the big the big dogs in the region. Uh, speaking of Stephen Hart, I did find it kind of funny that he did say that when uh, um, when Clint Dempsey was up, he's left out the roster, that Stephen Hart said he was overjoyed. I did find that a little amusing. No, it was hilarious. It was hilarious. He, uh, yeah, the exact question was, were you surprised – that Clint Dempsey was left off the U.S. roster, and he said, "I was overjoyed." And it was like it was so his timing was so perfect on that; he didn't miss a beat. Uh, by the way, one of the nicest, as far as coaches go in the in the region, he's one of the he's one of the coolest coaches you'll ever come across and deal with. He, he's just real class act, and and, and he uh, you know he's definitely trying to keep things in perspective. He definitely still sees Trinidad being the underdog in this. Uh, he hopes that his young team can step up and, and produce another another quality performance. But I think he understands that U.S. has an experience edge. Uh, as far as, I think he pointed out that before the Guatemala game, even before this qualifying cycle, going into this qualifying cycle, I think there was only maybe one player. Kenwin Jones might have been the only player on the Trinidad team that had real World Cup qualifying experience. So that's how young this team is. So in a way that could hurt them. But at the same time, you know, sometimes you get these young teams that they don't know what to be afraid of because it's all new to them. So 
there's that as well. So it's it's I think it's been a good game. I I don't think it's going to be easy by any means for the U.S. Well, since the opening game of the Gold Cup for Trinidad, they've only lost one game and eight matches. And you're right. In that time, they played Mexico to a 4-4 draw and then played Mexico then to a 3-3 draw. The only loss, like you said, against Panama on penalties. Which is, te- which is technically a draw, if you want to get technical. Exactly. So they, yeah, exactly. They haven't really lost since before. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah they haven't lost in regular time in eight matches. Yes. That's all. Yeah, yeah, they're playing well. Well, as we keep talking about the national team, uh, Jurgen Klinsmann caused the stir, Ivis, when he said that people are immature, uh, quote-unquote, I mean, it's not a direct quote, but people are immature when talking about how U.S. soccer isn't living up to expectations, especially when it's been a busy year for the U-17s, U-20s, and U-23s. Um, all in all, Ivis, you could say it was not the greatest is Jurgen Klinsmann fair in saying it's immature, or are there serious signs that the youth development of U.S. soccer isn't keeping up on where it should be right now? Well, uh, just, just to point point out one thing, first of all, uh, when when this when these comments were kind of put out there, and they were put out there as part of a video uh, a video a set of videos that U.S. soccer put out, uh, there was this kind of perception that he was talking about just criticism of the national team in general. And his comments really were more specifically geared toward questions about the uh, progress or lack of progress in the, in the youth ranks in terms of the youth national teams because of the recent results, the results this year of the youth, the youth national teams. And he felt that it was immature to – that type of criticism is immature because it, it is – and maybe it was a poor choice of words on his part. I mean calling it immature, you could just say misguided. You could say, uh, you know – well, immature is not – I don't think was the best word he could have come up with no. there. But his point, I think, was that, you know, among other things that, you know, when it comes to youth results, like it's they're, they're so it's so tough to measure when it comes to the real progress of, of a program just based on youth results. There, there, there's so much uh, volatility when it comes to youth results. And if you want to get technical, every single one of the youth teams, U17, U20, U23, actually had improved results this cycle as opposed to last cycle. And that's as and while that's technically true. I don't think anyone would argue, and I don't think anyone could really say that these teams played oh so much better than the previous cycle. So, I think that's where people look at it and say, "Wait a minute, don't act, don't sit there and act like our, our youth teams have been amazing or, or even very, or even good. It's been a bit, it's been a bit mediocre. I mean, the U17s obviously fell flat when there was a lot of hype surrounding that team. The U20s did well; they did relatively well. They ended up losing to the eventual champions in penalty kicks. Mm-hmm. The U23s are still not in the Olympics, so I think that, you know, when you think about the, the previous cycle, they didn't even get out, the, out of the group stage. This team is in the knockout, or they're, they're in the consolation round, I guess now. Um, but I totally get why people are not happy with the progress, because I think a lot was expected of Klinsman when he took over, and everyone thought he was going to, you know, sprinkle some magic dust in the youth setup was going to suddenly be mass-producing top-level talent, and we haven't seen that at all, even close. So I think that's why there is that criticism. And, you know, while on some level I can understand why he said what he said, I I think he's being a little bit too dismissive of the concerns of the average U.S. fan who looks at at not just – the results, but the, the the level of play, I think the, it's the qual- level of play, the quality of play, and even Sunil Galati. I mean, and so it's so funny because he, you know, he, he said criticism is uh, immature, but even Sunil Galati said he had concerns about the fact that when he watched the final four teams in the U17 World Cup, when he watched Nigeria and Mali and even Mexico and the way they played in the final in the third place game, 
that level that they played at was miles ahead of what we saw from the U.S., and that's a, that's a cause for concern. So Sunil Galati, Klinsman's boss, even has even come out and said there's some reason to be uh, concerned there. So uh, I, I don't know if uh, I don't know if Klinsman necessarily should have chosen this battle to try to fight, and uh, and then it was made even worse by the fact that some people took his comments and thought he was talking about criticism of the senior team when that's not the case. He's already come out and said. People are more than welcome to criticize the senior team. He's totally okay with that, and and I don't think his well, message he should is really be okay with that. Well, obviously, yeah. I mean, what's he going to say? I, the, and then well, you're not allowed to criticize. Well, the, the, team. Whole, the whole thing I find just weird about Jurgen Ivis is lately, the last few months, he's been just very just you know anything that's been bad, it's like oh well you know it's not that bad. I mean, he's, he's, I don't know if he's trying to save face or trying to save his job, but well, listen, he's trying I'm, so hard to paint like a picture that it's not Dumagoon, which I know it's not. But, I mean, everything is just like, oh, it's not that bad. I mean, when is he going to finally step up and say, look, we have a problem. We need to get it done. Well, let's be honest. There always is a bit of a panic mode reaction to things. That's not a new thing. There's always an overreaction uh, by the public to, to bad results. But at the same time, there is a cause for concern. I mean, this is a bad run right now. The, the Gold Cup, uh, obviously the loss to Mexico, getting embarrassed by, by Brazil, I mean, all of that's a pretty bad run. But but you know what? Talking to Tim Howard today, he 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 acknowledged that yes, there's a bad run, but no one seems to talk about the wins against the Netherlands and Germany anymore. And and that's a fair point. No one really talks about that anymore. Although those are friendlies, there's six substitutions. A lot of the times, the U.S. team is coming back in, in, in late in games when there's been a ton of substitutions. So you you always got to kind of have to take those friendlies with a grain of salt. But um, there is, I feel like with Klinsman, there's always like a kernel of truth wrapped around uh, a, a coating of spin. So like, you know what, I get what he's saying in terms of, you know, there can be overreactions to things sometimes. But for him to, uh, you know, can he honestly expect people to be happy right now? Because, I mean, as far as U.S. fans go, um, now, I think I've said this before. Is it his fault that Mexico is in a really good form, right? in, in a really good era right now, and they're, they're looking like they're going to be better than the U.S. For, for the foreseeable future? Is it necessarily his fault? I don't know if it is. But at the same time, he can't sit there and, 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 and be shocked or uh, surprised that U.S. fans fe- don't feel good about that. A lot of U.S. fans don't know what it's like to be inferior to Mexico or to be second fiddle to Mexico. A lot of U.S. fans don't know what it's like to finish fourth in the Gold Cup. That ha- that hadn't happened in forever. So, I mean, uh, uh, you know, uh, he, he needs to understand why there's this reaction. I mean, it's not out of nowhere. It, 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 there's a reason for it. And it's because these you know U.S. fans for the better part of a decade or a dozen years have, have been kind of spoiled by a certain level of, of success. So, He's the coach. He has to try to maintain that level, and he can't sit there and be shocked or surprised or upset or or whatever it is that he seems to be feeling about that. He just has to take it, and and I agree with you. that It does seem like he spends a lot of time – and to be fair, he gets questions about this stuff, so he has mm-hmm. to kind of address it. But he, he, he does tend to be a little too dismissive of, 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 this, of these kind of feelings from the U.S. fan base. I mean it's only natural, I think. Well, adding fuel to the fire that is this conversation, Ivis, is the U23s who missed out on that opportunity to advance, uh, secure automatic qualification for the Olympics next year. Well, the U23s need to gear up for a home-and-home series against Colombia, which is going to be played next year. The U.S. had two friendlies against Brazil. First friendly, they lost 2-1, to one, looked flat. You're thinking maybe they'll come back in the second friendly, look a little better. Nope. They lost 5-1, to one, got hammered by Brazil. The only goal for the U.S. was an own goal by Brazil. So Brazil scored six goals 
on the day. I mean, for the U.S., I was total, total disaster trip down to South America. I mean, it wasn't pretty. But, uh, again, it, it, that trip was not about results. Uh, I think that trip was definitely about trying to test out some people, test out some pairings. It wasn't the full U23 squad that's going to end up playing my, uh, uh, Columbia in March. Uh, they were missing – who were they missing? They were missing Will Trapp, Jordan Morris – uh, you're looking at a guy like Matt Rubio, 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 Matt Miazga, Rubio, Rubin, and then you have senior team guys like a DeAndre Yedlin who who could play in in March for for them. So it's not you don't like to see it. You don't like to see them getting outclassed by Brazil, but it is Brazil, and the, and there were a lot of second team players uh, within that own team because obviously you play two games in short time. Uh, Andy Herzog tried out some some different players uh, to 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 play the second game, and it wasn't pretty by any means. So. Was it a wasted trip? I, I don't. I don't know if it, I don't know if you can necessarily say that, but it's obviously not encouraging to lose two games like that. But I, I think I don't think that's a fair representation of what the U23 team is going to be that ultimately plays Colombia. Now you'd like to think that they're going to get some friendlies under their belt before that, uh, where we see closer to what that team's going to look like. But uh, I don't. There weren't a lot of bright spots in those friendlies. That's it. I think that's that's fair to say. Well, I think that's the disappointing thing is, yeah, you you fail to see guys step up and take advantage of the opportunity. Right. I mean, and, and it's that you know what? If they're not good enough, they're not good enough, man. And a lot of these, uh, a lot of these new faces that get brought in, they're they're going up against Brazil and going up against top level players who are you know young uh, players who play abroad, play in Europe, you know, high level youth prospects. So. You know what? Is anyone really shocked that you're talking second and third string US U23s are not as good as Brazilians? I mean, who's, is anyone really surprised by that? So uh, I'm not going to sit here and say the U23s are amazing and, and anything like that, but I don't think people should be going too crazy and assuming that just because of these results, the US is necessarily going to lose to Colombia. Well, those games are going to be in a few months. The U23s, Andy Herzog, and Jurgen Klinsmann will have some time to figure out what will be the best roster for the US to advance to the Olympics. Ivis, we got to talk NASL, New York Cosmos, champions on Sunday, defeating the Ottawa Fury 3-2 to two in a crazy game. Gaston Slarino had a hat trick in this match. You talked about, I mean, how you had to send Raul off on a high note. Cosmos did that. They are the champions. Right. I mean, that's that's it's a big win for them. Second NASL title in three years, and obviously they send off Raul and Marco Senna uh, out and send them out as champions, and and it's a big big moment for them. And I think now the question is, where do they go from there? What players are they going to bring in to fill the void left behind? Um, so, so that that's a it's a, it's a bit of a turning point. But this I think it caps a great year, obviously for the Cosmos, but also for NASL. You know, you're talking about a league that continues to grow slowly but surely, and obviously there's obstacles in the way. Uh, you know, there, there's issues they still have to deal with. The U.S. Open Cup wasn't great for them by any means. They got totally torn apart by USL. Um, but I think the league is, is, is healthy. It's growing. And, and you know, and I know people always wondered, would the league survive? Would it be viable? And right now you're starting to see more and more markets come along. Obviously, you have the the, the Rio KC <laughs> the phenomenon joining. Uh, j- joining, And then you obviously have Miami is going to be another market. So I'm very interested to see how they continue to grow. And, and when you listen to their commissioner, I mean, the way he's talking about expansion is like you think MLS is growing quickly. NASL's got some pretty big plans, too. So it's going to be an interesting next year for the NASL. I, I'm curious on how it's going to work out in Oklahoma City because now you have um, the energy out there. Then you have the new NASL team announced. Dude, I, I, 
the, the, I'm, I'm, I'm actually excited to see which team eventually emerges as the team in the market. Well, that's what you, I mean, what's, there's nothing wrong with some competition, no. right? So I think, obviously. And out of all places, Oklahoma City, too. Well, it just, hey, listen, you know, maybe know. it's a, you know, Oklahoma's a little budding soccer city. So, uh, obviously, Energy FC has had a bit of a head start. They, they, they have their kind of roots planted into the market. And now it's going to be up to, to end the, end the new NASL team, Rio OKC. Uh, to show that they can not only compete, but they can kind of jump over uh, energy. And, and you got to think they'll have more resources. They're obviously going to have some backing from the Spanish club, Rayo Vallecano. And uh, this is a this is a battleground. It's a battleground city. Uh, it's a it's a it's a place where NASL can show that they have a, a better product. And, and we'll see what they can do. It's not going to be easy. They're going up against a team that's already been there and established. But at the same time, they have they're probably going to have some more resources than energy. So. Yeah, that's going to be a fun one to watch. Imagine 20 years from now, Ivis, NASL is the top league, and we could say it started in Oklahoma Don't City. start it. Don't even start that. Uh, I think as long as it keeps growing, it's going to be a good – a good. Uh, it's going to be good because it's going to offer up some competition uh, for MLS. And, and is NASL ever going to be as big as MLS? I don't know about that, but I do think it's good to have a, a thriving league, a thriving second division. It, it, it creates other opportunities for players. You know, if you're a player in MLS and maybe you're not getting the kind of salary or or contract situation you like, you can have other options. And it's, the more options, the better, and the more opportunities for players to develop. So I think it's only a good thing to have NASL thriving and also USL. And obviously the USL is growing even – I think they're growing even more quickly than NASL. Um, so the more the merrier. Cosmos, though, what's the next step for them? Two championships in three years. They missed out last year losing to the San Antonio Scorpions, who were then Soccer Bowl champions. What are the Cosmos doing this offseason? Bringing anyone big? Well, at this point, I mean, I haven't heard anything, but I think I'm sure they have a few. I'm sure they have some targets in mind. I think I think they're a team that knows that, you know, they, they kind of need some people to, to, to headline the marquee. And uh, at this point, we haven't heard any names, but I, I'm pretty sure sh- they've surprised us in the past because, let's face it, when they signed Marco Senna, people were like, really? Marco Senna? And then when they signed Raul, people were even more shocked. Uh, and obviously both both those signings worked out really well. So, so far their track record has been pretty good on signing these big-name players. So we'll see who they bring in next. Well, Ivis, even though Major League Soccer was off this week, there was still news to talk about. Um, up in Seattle, it is now confirmed that Siggy Schmidt will be back as the Sounders coach. I know we talked about maybe him moving on because he is yet to win an MLS Cup. Ivis, a little bit shocking that you could say that Ziggy is uh, staying in Seattle. Yeah, I mean, a little surprising. I don't know if I'd use the word shocking. I think it's a little surprising that he's back. Uh, You always got the sense that that, that he was on a bit of shaking ground and he needed to have a big year. But I think they they looked at the season and took into account the injuries and the fact that he had to go, you know, a couple of months without without his three best players. And I think they factored that in. and saw that they still managed to have a pretty decent season. And look, Siggy Schmidt's one of the best coaches in MLS. I don't think that that has changed. I just thought, and I think a lot of people thought that, you know, he's had a good long run there now, and he still hasn't won a title, and maybe with a change they can get closer to a title. Um, but having said that, it's clear that, that they saw him still manage to do a lot, even with the adversity that they had. And and you have to respect that, and I think he's still a good coach. And uh, I, I did think that the, it was going to open the door for Jason Christ to come in there, but obviously that's not happening now. So 
now we'll see what Siggy Schmidt can do, and we'll see what the team does as far as giving him resources, as far as managing that roster. And it's going to be Garth Lagerwey's job this this winter to kind of earn his money. And he's a guy he's a guy who's known as kind of you know a master of the cap and a master of uh, of, of you know formulating a roster and and and, and massaging the, the salary cap. So. Now we'll see what he does as far as making trades, as far as signings, as far as cutting, making cut, making cuts that maybe are going to have to be some tough cuts. So, as much as you know, as much as Siggy Schmidt has has had uh, some pressure taken off of him, I think the pressure's on uh, Garth Lagerwey now. Okay, what, like what's a tough cut for Seattle? Letting go of Martins? Nah, I, I'm not going to get into any specifics at this point, but you, you can't just stand pat. You're going to have to make some changes. I mean, whether. I mean, Ozzy Alonso is a player who's been mentioned uh, as someone who maybe they part ways with, uh, you know, someone like Gonzalo Pineda. I think he'd probably go maybe someone like Marco Papa. If you're going to keep, if you're going to keep guys like Andreas Ivanchitz and Nelson Valdez, I think you're going to be have to, you're going to have to say goodbye to maybe a guy like Marco Papa. Uh, someone like Andy Rose, I think is out of contract, so he maybe he won't be back. So there's going to be there's going to be changes to that roster, no question. And uh, you want to see what. Lagerwey can do with those roster spots, with the cap space, and with the resources that that the Sounders give them. And up in Canada, Ivis, the interim label is off. Mauro Biello is now remain, remaining as the Montreal Impact head coach. It's official. No, it's big news. It's it's it really is a no brainer. I mean, when the job that he did, the job that Biello did with Montreal, uh, you just you had to give him the job. I mean, he he managed that team. He, he managed that roster through the, the, the condensed schedule that they had, uh, and he balanced everything out and had them playing really, really well. And, and, and you, that, if that was an audition, I think he aced it. And, and now you want to give him a full year. You want to give, see what he does now, maybe with some resources to, to, re, to add even more to that roster. You want to see if he can keep the nucleus together, if you're going to bring back a Lawrence Sima, uh, if you're going to be able to keep an Ignacio Piatti. All, all the, if you can keep that group together for the most part, uh, it doesn't need much more. I mean, I think you can add maybe one or two pieces, but they have a group that can be right back in that conversation for a title hunt. And let's face it, if you had Didier Drogba for an entire year, you're talking about a lot more points, goals, a lot more wins, and, and them being that much closer to the elite in the league. And uh, they're, I think they're going to be a fun team to watch. And I want to see what Joey Saputo does. He's a guy who has shown he's not afraid to spend money. He's not afraid to put the resources into the team that it needs and he has his coach already, so he doesn't have to go chasing after a coach. Now he can focus on trying to find uh, reinforcements to that roster. And Ivis, on Monday, College Cup bracket has been announced for the men's Division One soccer. Wake Forest checks in as the number one overall seed. You have your usual suspects in there. Stanford, Maryland, UCLA made it 33rd consecutive year. They snuck in. Um, Ivis College Cup, who should we be paying attention to? Who are the teams? Why don't you just give us everything right now? Give us the full rundown. Well, obviously, Wake Forest <laughs> going in on a good run. Obviously, they, you know, they, they, they managed to grab the number one seed, but being the number one seed doesn't always mean much. Uh, for me, Georgetown, they were my number one pick before the season. I think they've done really well uh, to finally hit their stride after a rough start to the season. They beat Creighton twice. They won their conference title, and, and they're checking it right now as, as the number three seed. But for me, if you're asking me who the favorite is in this tournament, I mean, it's a pretty wide-open tournament, but I really like Georgetown. Uh, obviously, Stanford's another team. When you talk about a player like Jordan Morris, he's going to be a handful, and, mm-hmm. and I think we, we could actually see uh, you know, Jordan Morris and Stanford uh, meet up against Wake Forest, actually, in the Elite Eight. So that uh, that's going to be a, a fun one to watch. And, and another team that, that you actually you have to – 
you can't uh, rule out Notre Dame. They they won a title two years ago. I think they're they're a team that's going to be be in the middle of that. And then Clemson, Clemson, uh, I, I think has has been really good all year, and and I think they're a team that that could cause some problems and at the end of the year. But the one team who who you know they had a really poor start to the season, their first half of the season, and you had questions about would they even make it into the tournament. But now they're in the UCLA Bruins. Uh, they made it in. They're not even a seeded team right now. But when you look at where they got placed in the bracket, they could absolutely make a run in this tournament. And they had they're stacked. I mean, obviously they have Abu and Ladi leading the way from them. Seti Adekoye is Jackson Ewell. Their attack is loaded. I could definitely see them winning. Their, they're good for me. They're, it's they're going to win the first round game. They could definitely win to beat Seattle in the second round. Then you get to the to to the next round. You got potentially Syracuse. They're a team that could go from being unseated to winning the whole thing. Uh, however, I'm going to go with a Georgetown, uh, Stanford, NCAA final. Joshua Yarrow, the the, uh, the 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 likely number one overall pick in the next MLS draft, going up against Jordan Morris in a clash for the ages. And then I think Georgetown's going to going to going to pull it away and, and win it all. Yeah, when I saw UCLA. Uh, where they sat and they had a home game, I was like, "Oh my gosh, how nice is that for them?" And they lost when they lost the last game of the season. I was like, "There's no way that they're in." Couldn't believe it's UCLA unbe- was in. Um, they're a team. It's unbelievable, man. They're, talk about underachieving. I know. Uh, I mean, I didn't think they were going to even make the tournament. They had to keep the streak alive, Ivis. Come on. Yeah, it's funny, but you know what? So many years they've been expected to do so much, and then they laid an egg in the tournament. So maybe this is the year where they have an awful regular season. And then they put it all together at the end. Could happen. Uh, you know, with the College Cup, I was, we always see guys stepping up, becoming household names, guys that, you know, you can't miss in the upcoming MLS draft. I know you can't give away everyone's name yet, but can you give us, like, one guy we should be paying attention to? Well, I mean, obviously, Josh, the people, I think most people know about Joshua Yarrow and Abu Dunlady and Jordan Morris. Those are the three best players in college, right? So that 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 any conversation uh starts off with those three um but you know if virginia the the defending champions uh they're in the tournament now they're they're not a seeded team they're gonna they're gonna have a little little bit of a rough road through the tournament but i think if they can get it together you want to talk about a player like jake rosansky a guy who i really like and and is a top top midfield prospect he's someone who could who could help virginia kind of climb up from the, the 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 unranked teams and really make some noise. He's a guy I like. Uh, North Carolina ha- has some, some good players. Obviously, Our Omar Holness, who's been a g- generation Adidas target forever. Uh, Jonathan Campbell, one of the best defenders, uh, one of the best senior defenders in the country. He's going to be someone to watch. Um, who, who else? There, there, there's a ton of t- there's some there's some really good pro prospects in the NCAA tournament. And uh, I, I can tell you right now, MLS scouts are, are going to be busy for the next month because a lot of the best players coming into the college season have managed to get into this tournament. And, and that, that's not always the case, but this year uh, I think we've seen that obviously when you have Syracuse, uh, Julian Boucher is another, another talented player. So I'll tell you what, th- those are some of the names to think, to know in this tournament. And those are definitely going to be some of the names you're going to hear at the MLS draft. The first round for the men kickoff kicks off, excuse me, on Thursday. And then just three days later is the second round. If you want to see the bracket, uh, go to sbsoccer.com. You can see the full bracket there. And as the College Cup goes on, Ivis, I know you'll be working feverishly to release your uh, your your mock SBI MLS MLS dra- Super Draft board. That was horrible. I worded it horribly, but you know what I'm you, talking you, about. Your you, mock you, draft. You, you, for, no, first of all, it's the big board. Big, the big board. It Thank starts you. with the ML, SBI MLS Draft 
big board. And I'm planning to drop one before Thanksgiving. We'll see if that actually happens. Hopefully, hopefully the day before Thanksgiving on that Wednesday when people are hanging out before they go out to party that Wednesday night. Hopefully I'll have the big, the first big board that day. Uh, you know, get that first top 40 out there. And I tell you what, man, this this draft is gonna is is deeper than last year's draft. Uh, and so if you're if you're a team that has some needs going into this draft, particularly in terms of defense, there's quite a bit of good defensive talent. Um, this is a good draft to have high picks in. Dude, Thanksgiving is like in nine days. Where is this year gone? Tell me about it, man. The college season flew by. I'll I'll readily admit uh, I've had so many other things to focus on. Like I haven't been on top of the college game as much as I have been traditionally in the past. And and I'll give some credit to, to our guy, SBI college ace reporter, Aaron Cranford, who's been all over the college scene throughout the season. He's been covering it uh, top to bottom. He's done an excellent job and, and will continue to cover the tournament throughout the, the next month. Uh, but we will have that, M- that MLS draft coverage that you're used to seeing will be coming before you know it. I'm looking forward to it. Dude, I love the college cup, man. It's so much fun. No, it's, it's always it's enjoyable. Good. And this, I think this tournament is really wide open, and I think you have teams that play some pretty good soccer. And I know last year when, when Virginia won it, a lot of people were like, oh, Lord, Virginia playing that ugly soccer. We don't want to see them get in. But when you look at the teams that are still – the teams that are considered the favorites in this tournament, when you talk about Wake Forest, Georgetown, Stanford, I mean, these are teams that play some 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 good soccer. They play attractive soccer. They really try to you know keep the ball on the ground, knock it around. So I, I think it bodes well for an entertaining college cup. I have one more thing before I let you go. I think everyone wants to know where the after party is tomorrow night after the game. <laughs> Good question. Look, they do love, definitely love to party in Trinidad. Unfortunately, I will not be partying in the post game because I have a flight at 7 a.m. Uh, so that's disgusting. Why would you do I'll, that? It, it's the only. It's like the only. It might be the only flight out. <laughs> Let's put it that way. So, and I'm not. I think everyone's on that flight. Like a lot of people are on. I think. I think me in terms of media. I think I think a majority of the U.S. national team beat writers will be on that flight. So, if anything happens to that flight, there could be a, a lot of openings on the on the U.S. <laughs> national beat. So, why, why am I laughing at that? That's horrible. I don't know. You're, yeah, you know, you're, you and Franco will have your fingers crossed that something happens to that plane. I think I'll be fine. I think Franco <laughs> will be the one who will be uh, yeah. clamoring at the opportunity. Yeah. Yeah. No, but it's uh, yeah. No, they like to party here. No question. There was Seven a.m. Like- That's horrible, man. Ugh. Hey, but you know what? It just means getting home sooner, man. I'm, I mean, uh, it's been a long couple of days, man. It's, it's, it's like just to give you the rundown. It went. I went. St. Lu- it was Newark to St. Louis, St. Louis to Denver, Denver to Newark, Newark to Houston, Houston to Trinidad, and now it will be Trinidad to Houston, Houston to Newark. So that's all in like four days. So yeah, it's time to go home. How long is that from now, Trinidad to Houston? Was it like three hours? Five and a half hours. Five. Holy crap! Look at look at a map, man. Are you kidding? Three hours? I've never, you know where Trinidad I've is? never flown from Houston to Trinidad, so I can't base it off the top of my head. But I can tell you, you how, how long a flight is from San Francisco to Hong Kong. Do you want to know that? Get a map and you'll see where Trinidad is. I know it is, dude. It's like literally touching South America. It's like kissing that, almost. So it's not three hours, so that's obviously more than three hours. Well, I don't know. I've never <laughs> – the farthest <laughs> south I've ever been in my life is Mexico City. Yes, is uh, Guaymas in Mexico, which was eight hours south of the Arizona-Mexico border. Wow. Well, there you go. And that was back in the day when you had to get into a car and you didn't have, you know, like, you know how they have the TVs in cars now? You know, we would bring a TV into our car, hook it up to the, um, where you light your cigarettes, and then we'd have a VCR that also hook up, and that's how we watched movies. 
<laughs> so for all you back. who grew up with nice little things in the back of the headsets, it wasn't like that back in the day. Times were hard. Times you're were such, hard, man. It was hard. Old, this is like 15 years ago. Very difficult. It's not that long ago. I know it's not. <laughs> <laughs> I know when I think about it like that, it's not that long ago. And yet yeah. here I am. I was, what, like 70 days from getting married? Dude, oh, my I know, man. I know. The countdown is on. It sneaks up on you. Yes, sir. <sighs> All right. Well, Ivis, uh, I'm going to let you go because you got to go down to the beach, man. you gotta, you got to get your party on. I feel like I'm distracting I, you from that. i got, I got to go finish my writing, get some sleep, and then be ready for the beach. Tomorrow. There you go. <laughs> All right, Ivis. Well, you have a good time at the game. We'll touch base when you get back. Have a good time. Have a safe flight. Enjoy yourself down there. All right? Thanks, man. And as always, everyone, thank you for listening to the show. Thank you for the reviews, the comments. That is Ivis Galarsep. I am Eric Cleverly. This is the SBI Show. <laughs>